All right, cool. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the xenophobic films from the VHS era. My name is Luke, and tonight we are discussing the 1980 cannibal zombie mad scientist mashup film dr butcher md also known as zombie holocaust which is the version leland watched listeners do you remember buffets like before covid in the year of our lord 2019 ad if you are the kind of person who slops a scoop of mashed potatoes onto their italian horror plate right next to a slice of pizza and some lo mein then, as of this broadcast, you can find 1980s Zombie Holocaust, aka Dr. Butcher MD, on YouTube for free and probably Amazon Prime. You know the drill. And then you, like us, can experience this identity crisis of a movie split between medical horror, scary foreigner cannibals, and some of the most dehydrated zombies ever committed to film. Yeah, so I think both versions are actually on Amazon, the Dr. Butcher version and the Zombie Apocalypse version or Zombie Holocaust version, whichever one of those titles applies to this particular movie. Um, but I think you have to pay for both of them. Most, well, on, uh, on Prime, yeah, for sure. But if you want to watch the version that I endured, then you can certainly find that on YouTube. Just so to give a rundown of the versions, should we do that? Um, let's just see how, what differences come up in the, in the walkthrough. Cause but, I, have, I, I have a rundown. <laughs> oh, well, I'll tell you what, let me, <laughs> you do your rundown and then I'm going to read you the back of the box. And I want you to tell me, uh, how they match up. So zombie Holocaust is the original Italian cut and the version that can be found on YouTube. Dr. Butcher is the American cut, which replaces the, um, all right, I'm doing air quotes here, serious soundtrack with a synthesizer score. It adds a completely unrelated opener, apparently has an extra action scene, and generally removed about 20 minutes of dialogue, establishing character development and plot because who needs that shit when you're just here to see some guy get his eyeballs eaten right out of his skull? Yeah, I was telling Leland before the podcast that like, I always take notes when I'm watching the movie, and I had to pause this repeatedly because the, the American VHS is so fast-paced, jumping from scene to scene to scene to scene, plot point to plot point, that it's a struggle to keep up with what's going on. As an aside, I was originally going to watch the same version, but the cassette that I have been holding on to for a year was unfortunately not functional. I think I could have performed surgery, but I'm not in Leland's location. So, all right, Leland, so listen to this back of the box and tell me how much it describes the movie that you watched. Mm -hmm. So this is the Paragon release. And I have a story about how I came by this, by the way. Um, but it says, he is depraved, sadistic rapist, a bloodthirsty killer, and he makes house calls. 
a mad doctor's deranged dream of creating perfect people by taking parts of one person and interchanging them with another backfires as his creations develop strange side effects. That sounds like a much better film. I think the advertisers have zero scruples around this time period and, and how they promoted this film. There, There is zero sexual assault in this film, which is great. I don't think that needs to be in there. But this doctor doesn't even... He gets hyped up so hard, and he is maybe like... 8%, 10% screen time tops. Yeah, so basically at least the version I watched starts as sort of a slasher movie almost, and then it turns into a cannibal movie, and then it turns into an evil mad scientist movie, and then it turns into a zombie movie for like 10 minutes. That sounds pretty close to my experience. Yeah. So, oh, so before we get into the the film, let me tell you about getting this VHS, just because, I don't know, I guess this is a, a masturbatory and yet sad story. Um, do you remember... Yes, those two words go hand in hand, don't they? Oh, I suppose they do. I hadn't thought about that. But do you remember Cool Video, the, like, the tiny video store down the road from my mom? Yes. All right, so when I was in high school... There was this video store really close uh, to where Leland and I lived called Cool Video. And it was probably the size of, it felt like a, like a gas station, right? Or smaller. Like it was tiny, tiny video store. But they had an awesome horror section. Like all kinds of really rare tapes, which at the time I didn't even know were rare. Those were just the tapes that I could rent, right? And like I didn't know anything different. And so they went out of business and when they did, like they were just closed one day. And I was so upset because around this time, whenever a video store went out of business, I would go in and like buy all the tapes. But this one just closed one day. A church bought the property and I was like, well, I'm definitely never going to get them now. Later, the church opened a thrift store in the space where the video store used to be. And to my shock, they had all the movies from the video store for sale. And I happened to get there like on the right day. And this guy was like Christian as fuck, like <laughs> evangelical proselytizing to me. And yet he was agreeing to sell me all these horror movies, which always seemed contradictory to me in a way but it's like if you find porn in a in a christian bookstore like that's what it feels like um but anyway so i bought all of their horror movies for 10 cents each they were all mismatched like they weren't with their boxes so i had to find the boxes and put them with the right tapes but that's where i originally got this tape and I mean, the tapes I got in there were amazing for people who collect VHS. Uh, I remember I had a Cannibal Campout from there. Uh, I remember I had this movie, Cannibal Campout, and The Meat Eater all on my shelf in a row. And they all came from that video store for 10 cents each. Um, and of course, I sold them back in the day for 
I think I sold Cannibal Campout back in the day for like $30. Now it's like a $300 tape. Bodied. It's ridiculous. Like people who collect VHS know the market is insane. I thought that it had reached its pinnacle like 10 years ago. And I thought I was getting out at the right time. Like I had to get out anyway because I was going to grad school and I like had to move and I couldn't bring everything with me. But I also thought like, oh, this is the perfect time to sell because tapes were so expensive. Well, I was wrong. I regret it all the time. I mean, it's it's not like you uh, sold your Bitcoin too early or anything. No, but all right. So I guess the point of that story is to is to flex and be pitiful at the same time. But with that said, let's talk a little bit about this movie before we get into the plot. What what other movies did this remind you of? The very first Italian horror film we ever watched, I believe, was Zombie 3. Is that the one where a zombie fights a shark? That's Zombie 2, All also right. known as Zombie in the United States. Yes. So that is the first film that came to mind. And... It's no surprise because it turns out it was used they used the same sets. Yeah, I I can recognize them too. Like they're uh and a lot of the same actors. Uh, at least Ian McCulloch, our our uh protagonist is also in Zombie. And then uh the same year as this, he did Alien Contamination, which I also love. So Ian McCulloch had like a good 2 years where he was in a trifecta of very significant or popular, I guess, Italian horror movies. But apparently, I've never met him, but I've heard from people at conventions that he's like really a dick, that he he just hates horror movies and has no respect for the work he he did and like resents the fact that he was in these movies and like he'll go to conventions and sign things for the fans, but all he does is complain. Which I don't know. I think he's. I think he's good in this movie. Yeah. Never meet your heroes. I guess. Yeah, I guess not. Ian McCulloch, the the hero of many Italian horror fan. But I, all that disparagement is like secondhand, right? He might be awesome. I don't know. I like him as an actor. Like, did you think he was good in this movie? He played a guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all right. So here's what I think is good about Ian McCulloch is. He does a really good job of projecting like authority and confidence, but not, but seeming in character. And so he sort of not, he's a natural protagonist, right? Like if you're watching a horror movie or an action movie, he's like an easy guy to root for. And that may seem like that might be invisible acting, but not everyone can pull that off. I guess. I mean, he just kind of strikes me as generic white guy number 148 or something. Yeah, but, you know, maybe it's that he's just in all three of these movies. But there are plenty of other people in these movies that I have no idea who they are, and I would never recognize them if I saw them again. But I definitely know who Ian McCulloch is. So, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so definitely some uh, zombie influence here. What about, have you seen many of the Italian cannibal movies? Cannibal Holocaust is the only one I have seen. And 
that might not have been the best one to watch first. Because I have a feeling that one is the cream of the crop of the genre. I mean, that one is, I think it's the most extreme in terms of the animal deaths, at least. Although I think Cannibal Ferox is worse for like sexual assault and, and maybe even gore, like human gore. It's probably got the most art, like Cannibal Holocaust, that is, probably has the most artistic pretensions. I, I We could have a debate about whether it succeeds or not, but it's the most ambitious of all of them. The other ones just kind of want to gross you out. But this feels like Cannibal Movie Light, right? Like it's, it, it, there's no animal deaths here. There's no rapes here. There's no castrations here. Um, this is relatively tame for a cannibal flick. Yeah, this is this is a PG thirteen cannibal flick right here. <laughs> it it might as well be. Although I don't know if I'd show my thirteen. I yeah, I'd show my thirteen year old this. But maybe that's because <laughs> look at this crap. <laughs> maybe it's because I resent not being shown things when I was thirteen. That feels like a slippery slope into traumatizing your child. I don't know. I it. I think I would have been fine, <laughs> but I don't know. I, I guess I, um, I turned out all right. Uh, the other thing that I recognized is, so this is, um, or I read this, this is not true of the version I watched, but most of the music is lifted from Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals. So, but the version I watched has an awesome synth score. Yeah, I will never know that joy. It doesn't fit the movie at all. It feels very awkward and misplaced, but I liked it. It's fun. When exactly do these synthesizer scores match what's going on screen? Never. 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 So no. I don't know if that's really a, a big deal. I guess during the opening credits. It's oh, oh, surprising. you're talking about in general, in general. Okay. Yeah. Like, uh, well, Halloween is the most famous example example right like i think in halloween it's perfectly synced john carpenter is the master at like syncing his synths to his action like for the sake of continuity right for for the video store's nightmare continuity the thing about beyond the darkness and the synthesizer soundtrack in that like does that really match no but see and i think even of that if it doesn't like it still has that distinctive feel it works Okay, so I, I'm glad you said that, actually. So first of all, I think that's a little different because I think of that as, like, what's the name of that band? Goblin. So Goblin did the soundtrack for that, right? And I, I've never met them, but the way I imagine them making albums is as an album and just not thinking about the movie at all and then leaving it up to Dario Argento or whoever's directing to, like, match it up as best as possible. But with a movie like this, I think it's different. I think they probably either lifted this stuff from library records or hired someone to score the movie. It's not like they were superimposing an album over their movie. Do you see what I mean in terms of the difference? Yeah. Yeah. So like, I guess what I'm getting at is they should have been able to match it up better than they did. But I still liked it. Um, I just think it's strange that it's the American version that has that synthesizer. Well, you know, they did that with uh, 
they did that with quite a few of the Italian films. The the really famous example is Lucio Fulci's film The Beyond was released in America as Seven Doors of Death, has all the gore cut out, um, but it also has a like a dark synth soundtrack. Well, and that is a travesty because the Beyond soundtrack by Fabio Frizzi is one of the best soundtracks of all time or musical scores of all time. I guess there's got to be an edit somewhere, a mix that puts the soundtrack back into the the gore version, right? No. So the, the, the Fabio Frizzi score is on the uncut version the edited version that was released in the united states that's the one with the the aftermarket synth score strange i don't get it it welcome to the world of imported italian cinema it's a complicated labyrinth anything else before we play the trailer and get into this I think we're ready to start. I think we're ready to travel to Sentinel Island. Is that it was called Sentinel in yours? No, um, that, okay. that was a reference to to the actual Sentinel Island. Oh, gotcha. Okay, yeah, because it's what uh, Quito? Yeah, <laughs> the, the Quito uh, tribe. <laughs> yeah, but they also said that was the name of the island, or that's what the natives called it. Yeah, it's the name of the tribe and the island. You know, I. I should point out that this movie is is racist and xenophobic as hell. Oh, absolutely. Like, yes. This is a... The, I think this movie is entertaining, but it has absolutely no socially redeemable value <laughs> whatsoever. Um, <laughs> On that point, we agree. <laughs> this is the worst. This is the worst kind of uh, Italian trash, right? It's it's ripping off other movies. It's not aspiring to anything and <laughs> has no socially redeemable value. This is one of those films where uh, if you like show it to someone, you have to be like, it, it was a different time. <laughs> they, they thought about things differently. I don't know if any, if this was ever appropriate, but I think that's a good point to play the trailer at. His name is Dr. Butcher, M.D., medical deviate. He has perverted the science of medicine for his own maniacal means. (laughs) Dr. Butcher, M.D., medical deviate. You will die only to live again in a younger body. Then you can tell me if the operation was a success. What it's like to pass from life to death and death to life. See Dr. Butcher's diabolical surgery. You must have a psychopathic deviate in the hospital. Dr. Butcher loves New York. There are so many attractive patients to operate on. I could easily kill you now. But I'm determined to have your brain. It'll be the culmination of my career. Dr. Butcher medical deviant. He loves to operate on beautiful women. I'm on the verge of discovering the key to, to increasing man's lifespan by over a hundred years. Prepare the operating table. I'm anxious to experiment on a male Caucasian brain. 
the time has come for you to play your part in this momentous occasion. Science must surmount all obstacles, and this requires certain sacrifices. It will comfort you to know that generations to come will reap great benefits from my experiments. Dr. Butcher, M.D., medical deviant. He's a depraved, sadistic rapist, a bloodthirsty, homicidal killer. And he makes house calls. Dr. Butcher, M.D. Wow, you really get a sample of that soundtrack you got to listen to. It's, yeah. It sounds like a, a cat having a seizure on a harpsichord. Yeah, at times, for sure. So we, oh. it, uh, this is a little bit of an experiment because Leland and I watch different versions, but I'm going to do a walkthrough of what I saw. And if there's any differences that you think are worth talking about, let's, let's try to weave these plots together. Sure thing. But just throwing this out there, uh, as far as soundtrack, there was nothing noteworthy to talk about in the Italian version. Well, I actually really like the 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 score that begins the movie. It's like a really abrasive synth beat. And we open on a headstone in a cemetery that says Snuff Maximus on it. <laughs> Was this in yours? No, this whole opening scene is absent from the original. So this is all you. Oh, okay. So in mine, we open on the snuff Maximus headstone and it, there's, it's super foggy. It's like watching the child and there's all these headstones, these like obviously fake headstones are rocking and you can tell that there are hands behind them rocking them back and forth. And then the credits start and we get the credits interwoven with this scene and it's actually really cool this scene is awesome zombies start coming out of the earth it's very much like the scene at the end of zombie where it's like synced with the music and as their hands come out of the earth it's almost like they're drumming to it in tune with the the score and then you see them shambling through the fog and it's the same zombies that are at the end of the movie and they start shambling into this tunnel and walking towards what might be a city and i absolutely like i said i love the scene but it's really rushed it, it it probably crams like five minutes worth of scene into a minute so one thing i was going to ask you about is this movie commits the sin that like tons of zombie movies do where the zombies are just very easily able to reach their hands up out of the dirt as if they were as if they were buried vertically in soft soil right like has this ever been a problem for you like how the fuck do they get out of the ground well let me start off by saying all of the zombies in the original version are above ground <laughs> Okay, yeah. I mean, they would be in this one, too, except for the first scene. Except for this first scene, which, as a reminder, was part of a completely different film 
spliced in for whatever reason. I mean, to be fair, I guess the original credits are pretty boring. It's just a still shot with some red text. So I guess they had to spice it up. Well, but, so man, when it comes to um so hang on hang on just a second because i think this was filmed for this movie because the zombies are the same the zombies are the zombies from the end but it it must have been filmed by different people because it's it doesn't make sense with the rest of the plot so this this scene is from a unfinished horror anthology I don't know. It's Whoever. just re- it's really strange because the zombies in this movie are so peculiar looking. Like the each one is very distinctive. And you see all of them in the first scene. I imagine they probably just reused the same props. It was probably the same studio, same production team, same everything. But yeah. this did not finish. And whoever edited the American version decided to take this footage that was previously unused and just spliced it in. Well, we'll wait till the end to get into why this scene does not make sense in this movie. But uh, I do think the zombies look cool. Then a, a newspaper headline pops up on the screen in that like old 1930s style where it like zooms in and it says terror grips city which also doesn't really make sense given the rest of the plot. But then we see a dark cloaked figure in like a fedora enter a morgue and cuts off somebody's hand. I assume this is in your version. Yeah. So the opening scene and the newspaper, not in my version. My cut starts off in the middle of the night. And it's immediately apparent why most films don't film in actual night lighting conditions because you can't see shit until this guy starts walking across the the office. Yeah, same here. But yeah, um, obligatory need a hand joke here. (laughs) Guy just just takes the hand and just puts it into a bag, an open bag with a fold on it. Did you notice that when he... First of all, the thing that he's cutting the hand off with looks like a giant butter knife is it i thought it was like a saw it no it's like i I noticed it's just like a silver blade but it didn't look sharp at all and as he's like sawing the hand off it's making a squeaking noise like like that it's just the awful uh the absolutely awful uh sound mixing in this film maybe it just it it obviously they imposed a a sound effect here it just sounded like an awkward one well if this is a butter knife it's a damn big one but you're right it looks very dull uh later on there's a scene where dr butcher is opening up somebody's skull with what's supposed to be a small rotary saw but it's clearly not moving it's just a a silver piece of metal on a stick and you're They're relying on the sound effect to trick you into it spinning so fast you can't notice. Yeah, there there are some terrible technical aspects to this film. Although I think the the zombie makeup and the gore are both really well done. I think they look really cool. But we'll get there. This is going to sound like a tangent. But, um, you know, Ziploc bags were basically invented in the late 60s. So why is this guy dropping a severed body part into a bag 
and just doing like a simple fold over before he puts it in his briefcase. Like there's no way this hand is staying in this briefcase as you walk around town with just a simple fold in it. Maybe followers of Quito are like the Amish and they believe in more rudimentary technology. <laughs> I mean, you told me once that like Italy is decades behind, right? So I don't know, maybe maybe the the actors like complaining saying how am i supposed to take this role seriously when my character won't spring the extra 15 cents for some closable bags and then the director has to snap back about how this like space age technology hasn't yet reached italy like a decade since its inception i don't know if i would say that italy is behind i in terms of horror movies they were both ahead and behind right they were behind insofar as they were they were just making rip-offs of American movies, uh, lifting American plots. But at the same time, they were way ahead of us in terms of like the gore and the levels of violence and sex that would not get into American movies until like the late 80s. Well, speaking of gore, we have our next scene. Yeah, so this is in medical school, and we see that this corpse that he stole the hand from is going to be used for a lesson. And everyone is immediately confused about why the hand is missing. And one of the students delivers this gem. He says, I think, and he's talking to like his girlfriend, I think you took the hand because didn't you say you wanted a hand to help you study? <laughs> and then they, they all laugh at this and the professor kicks them out of the class <laughs> because he says that humor is disrespectful. This man, before he was a cadaver, made the difficult choice in lieu of traditional funeral rites to donate his body to science. And what happens? He gets split open and thrown out because some kids made a joke. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's it. In, in, in my uh, in my notes, I wrote down, they wasted that body exclamation point. <laughs> but but then after all the students have been kicked out, the doctor is talking to his nurse, who we find out later is also an anthropologist. And he's saying that other body bodies have been losing parts and he says we must have a psychopathic deviant in the hospital but he says that they cannot call the police because that would give the hospital a bad name yeah they go the uh, catholic church route in terms of reporting things to law enforcement in the next scene we find out that Lori, this is the nurse's uh, name that anthropology is her secret passion and she's driving with one of her professors, I guess. And they're talking about how pieces of bodies have been disappearing from the hospital. And her professor says that it sounds like a fraternity prank and that he had to do way worse when he was in college. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That, that, that red flag <laughs> just leaped out at me, too. Like... On the one hand, this is a staple of horror movies, right? Like think of like Night of the Creeps where the fraternity prank is they have to take a body from a hospital. But I don't I wasn't in a fraternity. I I don't imagine this is common commonplace. 
you know, the stealing of body parts. But he does not, uh, he does not elaborate. No, and in, in, in my version, at least, we go back to the hospital and they find this other body with its heart ripped out. And then we go to Lori's apartment where she has just gotten home from work and she's getting undressed. And one thing I wanted to point out about the scene that I really like in in 70s movies is the the chair like she has an armchair in her room and the fabric is the exact same pattern as the wallpaper behind it you like this I love it this this is the scariest scene in the film this is an aesthetic abomination no and I it, love it, this this is this is a, an absolute video store nightmare the, the wallpaper matches the pillowcases, man. No, I love it. That That's the kind of methodology and, and premeditation that separates first and second degree murder. No, th- this is an aside, but uh, Amanda really likes those like home improvement shows. And so sometimes I'll be in the room and she's watching one and they always show these people who buy these like beautiful mid-century or 1970s houses with wood paneling and this kind of wallpaper and and wood floors and then the show is about the subsequent destruction of everything i love about the house as they modernize it i appreciate all of those things you know i do but this room is a travesty can you imagine green screening something in this room? The carpet and the chair and God knows what else was all the same exact tone. I'm going to pull it up. Of like lime green. Lime green. Oh God, I'm looking at it. Okay. Lime green floor, carpet, lime green in, uh, nightstand, lime green lamp. But the lampshade, the wallpaper, the chair, the pillows on the bed are all the same floral wallpaper pattern. So I'm not I'm not particularly a fan of this color. I, I would use a different palette, but the pattern in the matching of the pattern I I love. The interior designer that made this room like committed seppuku down the hallway. Just there's no way. So tell tell help me process this scene. So she strips down to her bra and her panties, yes. and she opens the fridge, and there's like a package of meat there. And in the American version, there's a scary synth noise, and then the camera zooms in on the meat. So there is absolutely no scary noise associated with her opening the fridge. Um, as far as I'm aware, nothing comes of it. She mentions she's mostly a vegetarian in the car ride with her professor. and But then he drops her off at a restaurant to eat meat. Right. And then when she gets home, there's the meat in the fridge. So there's two, there's two things that we see in her apartment that made me suspect her like the whole movie i was waiting for us to find out that she was secretly in on it somehow because she's supposedly a vegetarian but there's this mystery meat in the fridge and the american version makes it seem scary and then on her wall she has the dagger of what is this per is it ketar keto keto diet 
I keep getting, I keep, all right. So I kept getting this mixed up with the cult of Sheetar in, in Blood Diner in Blood Feast. And so I'm probably going to switch Keto and Sheetar and combine them throughout the movie. But anyway, um, just, just remember, it's like the keto diet. Like, spoiler alert, These everyone on this island follows the keto diet. Oh, that's true. But uh, Lori also has the dagger of keto on her wall. And so I was like, okay, there's scary meat in her fridge, and there's a dagger on her wall associated with the cult. She must be in on it. No, nope, you- this meat is never referenced again. No, it's a very strange scene. But this reporter shows up at her door and asks to come in. And Lori's like, sure, but you'll be all alone. I was just on my way out. But she just stripped down to her bra and panties. I mean, she's covered up a little at this point. Yeah, but to go out? I I think she's just trying to push the the reporter out. I know. It just seemed like an illogical excuse to make. Uh, Abandon all logic in this film. There's not much of it. Even in, in the version where all the shit's left in. (laughs) <laughs> so um, the reporter wants to know what's going on at the hospital because she's heard rumors of cannibalism. And Lori tries to dismiss this out of hand. And then they kind of wander around her apartment. And we see that the whole apartment is decorated with like anthropological exhibits. And this is where we see the ritual sacrifice knife on the wall and we get another scary synth noise and the camera zooms in on it yeah no scary synth noises here i just want to point out this reporter clearly has a face that will not survive this story yeah you well i think because she comes across as kind of bitchy and annoying i think we're supposed to be okay with her death that's the justification i I just had a thought um we later find out that Lori grew up in the same chain of islands. You see, of, that was another thing that made me suspect her. Of which the Keto uh, also live. So perhaps she might have some latent cannibalistic tendencies that are never elaborated on? Perhaps an abandoned plot point? I, it's, it feels like throughout the movie, they're setting her up to be a member of the cult, and that's going to be the twist at the end but then it never happens yeah in your face overthinkers apparently well in the american version in the next scene the music is awesome it's like underwater bubbly electronic noises but it doesn't go with what's happening at all which is there's a guy in the hospital who is like cutting a heart out and he's going to take a bite of it but then he's caught and this is Turin is his name. And as they're trying to like drag him away, he just jumps out a window. These are the worst orderlies ever. He breaks away from their grasp like three or four times. It is so silly. Were windows ever like this where you could just jump through it and it would shatter? I mean, I can't speak for Italy, but I do know in the US, if you have a building over a certain amount of floors, building codes mandate that your windows be graded for a certain strength so you can't just jump through them because if you could jump through them a bird could fly through them yeah i mean i see this in movies all the time but i 
old windows are even thicker than contemporary windows. So I, I do not think anyone was jumping through them in real life. Actually, I guess we should point out, even though this movie is Italian, the story is most definitely in some kind of uh, unnamed U.S. major it's, metropolis. It's supposed to be in New York. Oh, okay. Which all these are, right? Like, So like Cannibal Holocaust starts in New York. Cannibal Ferox starts in New York. Eaten Alive starts in New York. Amazonian Slave starts in New York. Like all of these movies start in New York. I don't know why, but they do. So this guy makes like a four out of 10 somersault and then doesn't stick the landing. It's clearly a dummy being thrown out of a window, but it's pretty cool. Yeah, he falls like 10 stories, but he survives at least for a few minutes, right? Because I guess so. Someone, someone runs up to him and he says, I only caught a couple of words. Keto. Keto ordered it. He says, Keto ordered it. I don't know if that means eating the heart or jumping out the window or both, but we see he has a mark on his chest, like a tattoo that's the mark of Keto. It's the same mark that's on the dagger in Lori's apartment. And this is where we meet Ian McCulloch's character. Is this guy an inspector? Like, what is he? Did, could you figure it out? I don't even think my version goes into it. He's just like a white guy in a suit and he knows what's going on. I don't think it's law enforcement. So, but he has an American flag in his office. I mean, everything looks pretty professional. He's a white guy in a suit. So <laughs> well, yeah, I, he's just on the scene. I thought maybe he was a professor at the college where Lori had gone. See, it's confusing because earlier we see her riding in the car with her professor and they're talking about anthropology, but then she's working at the hospital as a nurse. And it, so it's confusing, like, where her relationships come from. It's not clear whether she knows him already or is just meeting him. She's just a casual anthropologist, but I got the vibe that uh, Ian's character... Chandler... Peter. His name is Peter. Peter Chandler. Yeah, so Peter uh Peter just kind of walks into this onto this set <laughs> and takes control. I guess that's what you were saying earlier, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even you know you're right. His magnetism, I didn't even question it. I'm like, yeah, he's supposed to be here. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's what I'm getting at. Um oh, he's making he's making up for the lack of writing. At one point he says to Lori, you seem to know a great deal about these people, meaning the, the people in Southeast Asia. And she just says, enough. See, this is another point where I was like, she's being suspicious. Like, I think she knows more than she's letting on. But it goes nowhere. Yeah, I don't remember when exactly she says she's from the area. It was probably somewhere around this point. But yeah. Um, discussing um, this giant nothing burger of details, they immediately sit down and start watching this extremely graphic slideshow. Like, excuse me, where was my content warning for this? Yeah, this is super gory, and but it looks cool. And Ian McCulloch tells us that this one guy in the picture was caught trying to eat a heart, just like the guy at Lori's hospital. And 
he says, or one of them says that all primitive societies practiced cannibalism. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't think this is true. No, no. Not to not to mention that like the word primitive is not acceptable anymore, right? Yeah. If Apparently if it ever is, was. These are the casual views we warned you about earlier. Yeah, there's a few points where they talk about like primitive societies lacking any kind of civilization and all practicing cannibalism. So the movie is showing its xenophobic or, or racist heart. I'm not sure. But we see that the symbol of Quito is on some of these bodies. And Lori's professor tells us that the symbol represents the sect of Quito and that they make human sacrifices. We see that Lori's apartment has been broken into and the ceremonial dagger is missing. And Ian McCulloch shows up right after her before she even calls anyone and he asks if she wants him to call the cops and 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 she says no what use would it do it's good to know that people trusted the the police in the 70s just as much as they do now oh even less and and the weird thing is so a lot of these 70s films have an anti-authoritarian spirit where they're like anti-law enforcement anti-government you got movies in the united states like the manchurian candidate that were all about you know the government is plotting against us Mm. and i know there was a lot of italian crime movies around this time that were about corrupt law enforcement i just watched one the other day called the smiling maniacs it was pretty good i recommend it to people if they can track it down i mean i feel like corrupt law enforcement is a pretty uh standard theme in most organized crime films yeah that's true this this one really focused on it but this is the scene where we find out that Lori grew up in the islands and she says that it was the most beautiful time of her life and she says this because ian mcculloch is organizing a trip to go to the island and she says um that she doesn't want to go because it would be too painful to remember her life there but then he says something like well it's not healthy to live in your memory you have to look forward and she says oh okay and agrees to go (laughs) the reporter from earlier the obnoxious one also shows up it turns out she's george's girlfriend i have no idea who george is but he's coming too (laughs) george is the other white guy in a suit that was in that office scene that is not who is not introduced to us no as far not as at I can all. Tell. we see their boat ride and there's funky 70s action music playing in my version uh while they're on the boat and when they get to their first island that they're staying the night at the reporter says i just love these tropical islands they're so cute and I'm like, is that ironic foreshadowing? What, what is, I, I've never heard of describing an island or any setting really, besides maybe like a child's bedroom as cute. Was there a conversation on the Jeep? About what? Uh, there's just like some, some character development, like combo on the Jeep while they're on the way to uh, Dr. Butcher's island retreat. I don't remember a, a Jeep at all. Okay, in my version, they get to the island, they hop in a jeep, and then they ride to Dr. Butcher's uh, house. 
in the Jeep. And they talk about who the butcher be, why the doctor is here. I mean, obviously they don't know he's a butcher, but it's you're, you're watching a movie called Dr. Butcher. You know who this is. This isn't a spoiler. And they say that he's on the island studying to cure something called Schneider's disease or Snyder's disease. <laughs> and I don't know if it's actually a real thing, but that was the setup. That was why he's there. Okay, yeah. I don't think any of that's in the VHS. And there's a point where the reporter starts to talk about her job and her boyfriend completely mansplains how reporting is supposed to work in the modern times. Oh, I don't think I saw that either. Yeah, um, anyway, very forgettable. <laughs> what happens in mine is that we pretty much find out that this guy, the doctor, has a team of guides that is going to go with them to the island of Quito and that he has rooms for them. And he tells us that the natives of Quito are the most primitive he's ever seen. He says they're cruel, superstitious, and unwilling to accept any kind of civilization. So this is that casual, like, white man's burden shit. Uh, you know, the third world is full of cannibalism, sort of xenophobia that I was complaining about at the beginning. You know, if you guys would just stop eating people for a minute, we'd build a Burger King for y'all. Which is ironic because later we find out that Dr. Butcher is the one who pushed them into cannibalism. So there's a little bit of a of like social critique there. I don't know if it's social critique or just a huge discrepancy in the screenplay. I don't know. I feel like they're almost saying that Dr. Butcher as the white man is the one who pushed the ills upon the developing world through colonialism oh my gosh what is he the cia well i mean all white it, it was the white man's burden all white men were complicit europeans anyway so at this point we have all of our main characters at the house getting introduced to dr butcher and who i guess i kind of called uh nurse butcher his uh servant oh um which which guy explain his name was um, Molato. Oh, the guy who like was the the boat captain. Yes. All right, There's that's a how very I drawn out scene at the house where everyone's introduced to each other. Nope, uh, I don't think the VHS has that. Oh no! Here, here's where we're gonna have some discrepancies. The next thing that happens in the VHS is Lori tries to go to bed, and there's a head under her blanket full of maggots, and the blood has been used to draw the symbol of Quito on her sheet. Yeah, I like how she sees the severed head, and then she goes, "Oh my God, it's the Quito symbol." <laughs> the head is the secondary. And then, and then Dr. Butcher tells her, don't worry, if the natives wanted to do you any harm, they could have easily done so. That's not comforting at all. I remember there was a line where he basically said, like, haha, don't worry, those are just the locals playing tricks. And <laughs> I immediately came back to thinking, like, you know, back in my day, we just stuffed whole bodies into guest beds, like that fucking professor. <laughs> yeah, it it's, uh, he he's... He's a fine villain. He is not a helpful friend. No. Um, the, then we jump to the next day. They're back on the boat, but they're having trouble with the motor. 
so they decide they're going to camp out for the night on this other island before they get to Quito. But they're going to stay up all night and keep watch and carry guns just in case, even though the captain guy tells them that the natives here are only interested in dead bodies and we all seem to be alive. So I hate we, this dude's logic. It, it didn't make any sense. I, <laughs> I was very confused. Like, it's very easy to make a dead body if you got a live one laying around. Well... And this guy's just bullshitting anyway because he's going to double-cross them. But we hear a scream. One of the guides has disappeared. And someone says, should we go out and look for him? And Ian McCulloch says that it's too dangerous, that they'll have to look in the morning. So on my version, and I imagine it would be the same on yours, George is the one who has that logic, not the not Nurse Butcher. Oh, that's totally possible. I did not write it down correctly. Yeah, so. They find the guy the next day, and he's mostly eaten. And I think it looks awesome. Like, I think the gore effects in this movie are great. (laughs) Did you think this looked cool? Yeah, it's cool, but, you know, for cannibals, they're pretty wasteful. They left behind, like, two-thirds of a body. Yeah, it's very obvious that that he's like buried underground and his head is laying back on the dirt and then they like built a half-eaten body, you know, to lay there. And yeah, it's it's silly, but it looks cool. If I saw this like in a haunted house walkthrough, I'd be uh, extremely pleased. And, and then they immediately victim blamed him. Like, man, he should have stayed in camp. Like this dude just went out to go take yep. a whiz and got ganked. Yep. Also, we need to mention is that this the first victim is one of three Asian porters that are brought with the main characters to, I guess, do all the the manual labor of carrying around luggage and setting up camp and stuff. Yeah, they're supposed to be guides. At least that's what Doctor Butcher calls them, guides. Yeah, they they they're they're bait. They're just bait. And these guys aren't exactly painted in the best light either. Do you think that the language they speak is real or is I'm, it just gibberish? I'm so glad you made that comparison because, uh, or that observation, because uh, I thought the same thing. It just sounds like gibbering nonsense. <laughs> it does. I do not think they're speaking a real language. Uh, I think that they're, I think that whoever dubbed them, like Italian people who are just making noises. I watched this film with uh, someone who has a a very thorough Japanese, Thai, probably other Southeast Asian uh, cultural background. And he's like, no, that does not sound like a real language. (laughs) So it's very, it's very possible that... (laughs) <laughs> he just had some shit made up for the script based on the other um, very racially insensitive details of this film. What I suspect is that there's an Italian or a British actor in a sound studio being recorded, and he's like, I don't know how to pronounce these words in this language. And the the producer, whoever, was like, don't worry about it. Just make some noises. Like, what would a savage sound like? <laughs> Like that's how I imagine this playing out. Yeah, I I think uh, I think that's that's probably what happened. Yeah, 
But someone tells them, uh, I forget who, but someone says, bury your friend and be quick about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it might have been uh, might have been Ian or um, I think it was, but I wasn't sure. What a Chad taking control. I don't know how he figures this out. So I don't know how Ian McCulloch figures this out, but he suddenly says that they're on keto and that the boat captain must have tried to trick them. And the boat captain just says that he just got confused. But yeah, they're on keto now. They thought they were on the other island. And then the natives attack. They have this trap that when you trip over the wire, the the trap springs up and impales you with spikes, and it kills one of the guides. And we see all the natives slit his throat open and slice him and start fighting over all his guts as they're spilling out. And we see them eating stuff and like all their exploitative glory. This is our first real cannibalism scene. What do you think? This is probably the, the best gore effects of the whole film. I think all the gore scenes are well done. Uh, some of the stuff in the, like, quote, the unquote, room. surgery room later, like, are kind of dumb. But yeah. I mean, compared to Beyond the Darkness, uh, they're pretty, pretty lame. Yeah, but, uh, you know, you're comparing, like, aluminum to gold here. <laughs> so. Yeah. I do um, think it's funny that the guy who didn't want to bring guns in the first place is the first one to point it at the natives before they even uh, got aggressive. Do you think that it is ethically wrong for a film to employ locals as actors like this? I suppose it de depends on the nature of your film, right? Like you said in a previous podcast... Um, or previous episode that gummo was exploitative because it was portraying these the locals that were used in that film as um as entertainment like exploitative entertainment yeah i think i mean i think gummo's exploitative insofar as it elevates a stereotype and and presents it as like the only reality but but this is a little different so like i don't know that this is true but i've read things about cannibal holocaust for example being filmed and how they got the natives the actual natives of um wherever they were filming to be the savages in the movie and that the natives thought that it was really fun and and funny like they thought it was hysterical that uh, Europeans thought that locals were like these savage cannibals. Um, and so they thought it was fun to be in the movie. But the message that sends to everybody else in the world who has not been to these places and has grown up in the 20th century being told that they were full of savages who needed to be civilized, and now they're seeing people who are not white Europeans acting like this on film, who are also not professional actors, and probably are not getting paid, or at least not paid well, right? That all seems a little exploitive, like, in real life to me. Well, I mean, in that situation, you can't really blame capitalism, right? <laughs> I, I guess. It's just, um, I don't know. I'm uncomfortable with it. Hmm. I'm uncomfortable with employing local non-actors to portray their own people in a stereotypical, horrific light. 
I mean, would it have been better if they just found like a bunch of Mexicans to play all the Asian tribe members? I don't know. I mean, it because that was a thing in old Western films. Yeah, maybe Americans. Maybe the problem is the the stereotype, right? It would be like if I was making a movie and I walked into a, a LGBTQ club. And I was like, okay, I need all of you to be extras in my movie, and you're playing sluts with AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, I'm getting them to feed into the stereotype that's hurting them. <laughs> that's what it feels like to me. I feel like we just switched gears to another Harmony Korean film. <laughs> and that would be, I mean, it would be appropriate. Oh. <laughs> All right, so I don't know. We're in uncomfort ethically uncomfortable territory here. No, um, this is something you shouldn't be thinking too. This is definitely a film you shouldn't be thinking too much about. Perhaps if this was more culturally relevant or made a big bigger splash in pop culture, then it would be something that's like worth kind of um feeling it then it's worth wrestling you know with your emotions to figure out. But otherwise, like this I can't imagine this movie was popular. It probably fell off the radar really hard. This yeah, I really don't know. Like, this is a film that reused a bunch of actors and a bunch of set pieces off another zombie film to just probably make something, pump it out, make money in the box office, move on. So one thing I don't want to dwell on, but it's worth mentioning, is this movie was directed by Marino Gairolami. I'm probably not saying that right, but he was known for directing like sex comedies. I don't think he made, I mean, I just did a perusal of his IMDb. I don't see any other horror movies. So this guy was not like a Lucio Fulci or Argento. He was not a horror director, right? So I don't know what relevance that has, but I think it tells us something. One of the writers was Fabrizio Di Angelis or Angelis. Uh, I know him for writing the two killer crocodile movies, which are very fun. Like, um, it, they're Jaws ripoffs, basically, but they're very fun. All right, so back to the story. They make contact with Dr. Butcher, and he tells them that he's going to send a rescue mission, but they've got to get to this building on the other side of the island. And so they have to make that trek the next day, but they get attacked during the night. Lori hits one native over the head with a machete. One of the guides gets this huge like bamboo spear jammed into him. He goes off into the woods to use the bathroom, much like his other guy. And then the horror, they install a telephone pole right through him. Yeah, basically. I don't know how you just shove this through somebody, but... So the next day, the re... is this where the reporter is kidnapped? Yes. So the next day, the next day the reporter gets kidnapped, and and this causes a whole shootout and a bloodbath, and George gets knifed and eaten, and another guy gets his eyes gouged out and eaten. I thought the eye thing looked kind of silly. No, but I think the imagery is uh, successful in portraying the primitive, savage nature of these cannibals because they literally just pluck his eyes right out of his skull. Yep. While he's on the brink of death. Yep. Like, this this is actual cannibalism. You always eat the eyes. There's a lot of protein in eyes. 
don't can't you get like if you eat certain body parts like the brain or certain organs like can't you get diseases from that yeah you can get kuru what is that it's a prion disease so i don't know what that means prions in your brain help you think help keep things going going nice and straight what okay is, uh, you start to get tremors and, and then over time your body just shuts down there's no cure for it no all right yeah i didn't know but um in this scene we also see our first zombie uh he scares all the natives away i think this zombie looks awesome they do look very distinctive less like a zombie and more like somebody just covered in like the skin of a corpse like peeling skin yeah, they, they look very, uh, very desiccated, very dry. This zombie's actually on the cover of the Japanese VHS, and I, I really want one, but they're expensive. But anyway, they make it to the they they make it to the white building, and the Doctor Butcher is there, and he tells them that he has men out hunting the natives. And he tries to convince Ian McCulloch and his crew to leave, that they have this little boat that they can leave on and go back to their boat. And McCulloch agrees, but he tells the captain, like Dr. Butcher's assistant, to stay behind because he's an experienced sailor and that he doesn't need him. We should mention that by crew, we mean literally just Lori and Peter. Yeah, because everyone else has been killed, right? Killed or kidnapped. Yeah. So do you think he's telling the assistant to stay behind because he just doesn't like the guy? No, I think Peter is on to the fact that the doctor is has ulterior, ulterior motives. Yeah, that makes sense because as he and Lori are going to get on the boat, McCulloch is like, talking about his suspicions and he says the doctor has been trying really hard to get rid of them and he thinks that he intentionally sent them to the wrong island to try to get them to steer clear of this place and how did he know where to come rescue them if he didn't know that they ended up on this island uh, and he says there's something worse than cannibalism going on he wants Lori to go out to the boat and leave him behind to investigate but a really cool-looking zombie shows up, I think, and McCulloch uses the boat motor to kill him, like shoves it through his face. Yeah, absolutely no hesitation. No, I mean, it's you got you to gotta protect your lady. But as they're running away, Lori falls in a pit of spikes, but somehow she doesn't land on any spikes, and Ian manages to rescue her by fighting off the natives with a big stick. Like, literally this, just a big stick. Yeah, this scene is not in the version I watched. Oh, really? Nope. I mean, yes, really, but no, this scene is not there. Oh, yeah, so they're running, and Lori falls in a pit, and there's, like, spikes in the center of it, and then these zombies attack, and Ian McCulloch fights them off with a big stick, and there's a action sequence for a while, and then he throws the zombies into the pit, and they get impaled on the spikes, and then he uses the stick to help Lori get out. Nope, none of that. In the original version, they get to... They just randomly stumble upon 
Dr. Butcher's house in the woods without being molested by cannibals. Very boring trek. Ah, well, oh, was was the scene in it where they find who they think is Susan? Yes. Okay, so they they find this woman by the river and they think it's Susan, the reporter, because she's got long uh, dark hair. But when they get closer, they see that it's actually a zombie and the zombie is wearing Susan's scalp. I'm not sure why McCulloch pulls the scalp off to begin with, but he does. And then we see Dr. Butcher zombifying the real Susan. Um, he's like draining her blood out and she sc- keeps screaming. So he removes her vocal cords. But then he gives her another injection that he says is to make sure she maintains her consciousness because he's going to transfer her brain into the body of a man who has been dead for 10 days. I actually found this really disturbing for some reason. This whole scene. Like, Do you think there's some kind of trans messaging here? <laughs> no, I, I think... It, no, I think that that's just kind of incidental. But I find the concept of having my vocal cords removed and my brain removed to put in another body that I'm then going to be trapped in, a zombie body, I find that really disturbing. Well, at least the other body still has vocal cords, presumably. I actually thought about that. That's true. <laughs> um, that said, you never see the result of this operation. You know, well, and then it never finishes. <laughs> it, it, I, I just gathered that it had been interrupted because Ian and Lori are sneaking in and she screams because she gets attacked by a zombie and that calls the doctor to their attention. And he comes in and he says, I tried to keep you away, but now you leave me no choice. This doesn't really make sense. The whole misdirection plot where the doctor tries to get our gang on the wrong island is very contradictory to what he actually wants which is their bodies for testing well and he says specifically that he wants to experiment with a male caucasian brain yes i believe that was in the trailer I think even in the 70s, people knew that a Caucasian brain was not any different than any other kind of brain. Like, there is no difference in race, like, there is no racial brain difference. But he straps Ian McCulloch down to a table anyway. He says that he improves on nature and he is going to increase man's lifespan by a hundred years. And he uses the natives in he in his experiments because he was able to sucker them into volunteering. He promised them that anyone who volunteered would be made divine. And he also encouraged them to start cannibalism again, and that attracted them to the island. I wasn't sure what this what he was really inferring, but No, and the full version isn't much clearer. It's almost as if the the primitive society was actually dismantled and then this man like somehow reassembled it by calling people or luring people to the island to like retake up the mantle of like the keto lifestyle 
Yeah, I mean, that's what I gathered. It's no sense. But this whole plot doesn't make sense. Think about it. This started with investigating body part theft at a hospital and then a knife was bur- a knife was stolen in a burglary and somehow this leads to them going on an island expedition to what exactly tell these guys hey stop stealing our body parts and yeah, like all- why did they take the knife these people live in like southeast asia like it's a malaysian island chain and you're gonna tell me that some guy got a passport and went to new york to to steal a knife and bring it back like it, they made the knife it's like they can just make more yeah it it doesn't make any sense um and 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 then you're telling me that the 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 tribe isn't really a tribe that it was just an assembled group of people that then i don't know d- descended into this this cannibalistic lifestyle and the best people to go on this expedition are like a mystery man uh sometimes anthropologist who's really a nurse and a reporter like no law enforcement no private investigator like no indiana jones figure here right it just seems like an odd group to go at least in congo they brought mercenaries with them (laughs) right right yeah or uh i don't know in anaconda what what is what is owen wilson supposed to be in anaconda i haven't seen that film since lord it's it's been so long i yeah i mean it was the 90s the last time i saw it yeah i i didn't even have a job yet (laughs) well we this was confusing in my version we jumped to the next day and we see Lori. She's standing naked, and the natives are painting flowers on her. Okay, so after the doctor catches both of them in his lab, Peter makes a brief distraction, just enough that Lori is able to escape and run out of the house. She is then immediately, without any delay, captured by cannibals who are waiting outside who drag her off into the woods. Peter is then strapped to a table as the doctor does a soliloquy on his um, his scientific ambitions, describing his uh, experiments and horrors that he plans to do. And it's weaved together with scenes of what you were just describing, where it switches back and forth between the girl getting painted up by the cannibal tribe while... Peter's being prepped for surgery for the next day. Yeah, okay. So this so my version's the same through all this. I just couldn't figure out why they were painting Lori, why she was so docile about it, how she exactly got up on a pedestal naked to be painted. Like it just seemed like a weird transition. I think it comes back to what you were saying that there was most likely plot line in the screenplay that was just never finished or fleshed out where she was more than what she said she was and she uses her prior history of growing up in the islands to gain the cannibals trust and then becomes <laughs> they, they just top this shit sunday off with a white savior savior cherry on top right 
I mean, that would have made a lot more sense than what we got, which is the doctor is telling Ian that he's going to transplant his brain. And then Lori is being put in this big disc with a shape cut out to place her in. And we, we actually figure out that it's the symbol of keto, um, but that she will form it when she's in the disc. I thought this was pretty cool, like a cool image, seeing her being put in this stone disc thing. Yeah, and it's um, actually contrasted with Peter, who's also uh, strapped to a table, but it's in the laboratory instead of the ritual stone table. Right, and we see that they are going to stab her with the knife, the one they stole from her apartment. And we didn't mention this earlier, but it looks like a kid's toy. Yes. Like, it looks like the knife that Chucky uses in Child's Play. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. The The doctor tells Ian that he always gives the scalps to the natives to use in their fertility ceremonies, and that blonde hair is especially prized. This seemed particularly xenophobic and terrible to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But Ian manages to escape. He's been using a scalpel to like slowly cut through his bonds, and he cuts the boat captain guy's throat. And then there's a whole series of scenes where he's being grabbed by zombies, then he gets away, then they grab him again. But at some point, he throws a lantern on them. And I swear this is the same exact building from the end of Zombie, where they're throwing Molotov cocktails, and it's all on fire. I will have to take your word for it because it's been probably 15 plus years since I've seen it. Oh, you should really watch it again. It's oh, good. We could cover it on this as an episode later. Yeah, we'll do it at some point. One thing that struck me during the scene, I know this is a really stupid thought, but there's all these dead bodies and zombies um, in this like labo laboratory or hospital or whatever. But everything's filthy and nothing is kept frozen or sanitary or cleaned. Like he's performing some dirty surgeries here. He's not a he, he's a mad scientist for a reason. All I'm saying is this is not a very sanitary surgical table. No, in tropical weather, this place would smell absolutely abysmal. Oh like yeah, a, I like have a dumpster behind a taxidermy shop. Uh, well, I have worked in a taxidermy shop, and and it smells terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, but we forgot to mention the zombies are apparently following the doctor's orders. Yeah, they're like uh, they capture Peter on command. <laughs> right. This is a very like voodoo vision of of zombies, right? Where they're they're being held under the doctor's control somehow. But anyway, they turn on him, though. The natives turn on the doctor, and they kill him and presumably eat him. So Lori and Ian can escape together. Yeah, so I'm talking about Lori became the white savior, convinced the tribe to rise up against their oppressor. But we don't see any of that, right? Mm, I mean, we see her walk into the into the lab with her with her uh flanked by by cannibal lieutenants who then carry out her orders I, maybe it was ritualistically the painted she's robed she doesn't say anything it's all done uh non-verbally 
I don't know if it was my stupidity or the version I watched, but I just I did not get the connection between the two. Like it seemed like the natives just all attacked, and then she just happened to walk through the door afterwards. So she's on the sacrificial table, and for some reason the table tilts horizontally. Yeah, I saw that. I thought it was because they were gonna sacrifice her. It seemed they their reaction to me felt like that wasn't supposed to happen because the guy with the dagger stands back and he's like, Oh my God, this is, this is completely different. This isn't, this isn't supposed to happen. And he like yells praises towards the ceiling of the cave they're in. Cause of course they live in a cave. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if all that was in my version or not. Yeah. What if like, what if this table was like some kind of witch's scale where <laughs> because it rotated a certain way because of the proper, uh, blonde white balance weight that she brought to it that like proved that she was some kind of uh, special prophetic figure to them. Yeah. Like something uh, a primitive society would have, right? Well, in this movie's version <laughs> of primitive. But anyway, we've reached the end of the plot and I feel like we have beat this zombie to death. So you want to go ahead and do final reviews? Yeah, this shouldn't take very long. Um, Although I, I do appreciate the practical gore effects, there's not much else here to talk about. Uh, I can only recommend the original zombie Holocaust cut to hardcore Italian horror fetishists. If the viewer knows what they're getting into, there won't be any regrets as the credits roll. But the undeniable truth is that there are a ton of Italian horror entries in both the zombie and cannibal genres of which there are much better titles to watch. If you value the limited time you have on this planet, one and a half stars. Yeah. So I think this movie is really entertaining, but it's, it's not good. It doesn't make logical sense. And my version in particular is truncated and you can tell like it's very jerky and in rushed. Uh, and it would be one thing if it was just a, a bad, but entertaining film, but it's also an offensive xenophobic racist film, which I, I don't know to some degree that those same things plague all these cannibal movies, but I'm not a huge fan of the genre for that reason i know they're popular and they have their fans but it's just never really spoken to me with that said i do think this is really fun and entertaining and i definitely was not bored and i think the acting is decent i think the gore effects are awesome i think the american synth score does not fit the movie but is nonetheless entertaining I enjoyed watching this, but it'll probably be a long time before I watch it again. And I would much rather, I think, watch either zombie or like eaten alive. Like there's a lot more interesting things if you want to watch a cannibal film happening in eaten alive. Uh, two stars for me. That That is generous. Same uh, over here. I keep thinking, you know, like my instinct is to say we're rating out of five. And so like two is below half, but we're rating out of four. Yes. Um, Your Ebert scale. 
Uh, don't know if I like the four-star scale. I love uh, the four-star scale. Roger Eber had it right. Uh, I'm going to stick with two. It just feels right. Um, all right. So next week, we are doing something that I feel like is obligatory for any weird cult VHS film podcast to do, and that is a Russ Meyer film. We already talked quite a bit about Russ Meyer when we did Teenage Tupelo, but we're actually going to do one of his films next week and cover Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, which might be one of the best film titles of all time. Uh, I'm a I'm a Russ Meyer fan. Uh, in in the pantheon of midnight film directors, like I don't think he reaches John Waters' height, but John Waters was an admirer, and I can certainly see why. So I think this is going to be fun to talk about. Not sure if Leland will like it or not, but I think it'll be good conversation. Until then, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares and. I post everything that we do. I will post the multiple versions of the Dr. Butcher box art because there's definitely some cool ones. Please rate, review, subscribe wherever you listen to us. Uh, that'll help us out. Leland, do you have any last words? No, uh, no hate mail, right? Nope. Okay. Uh, in that case, um, thank you for your continued support as always. Yeah. So uh, one other thing I should mention is um I just made up a a series of bootleg double feature VHS tapes that um, I threw up on Instagram pairing Bermuda Cave of the Sharks, which we reviewed on this cast, with Human Animals, which is a very strange, a very strange post-apocalyptic film that I don't think people otherwise have a chance to check out. And and that's the thing with this bootleg series that I'm going to try to do is assuming people buy them uh, and are interested in them and like them, then I'll put out one now and then that pairs two similar movies that are otherwise unavailable, right? I'm not trying to put out things that are rare, but that you can buy on Blu-ray, right? I'm trying to put out things that otherwise you would have no opportunity to see. And so hopefully people like it. If you're interested, check out our Instagram because um, I posted pics and everything there. And I think they look cool. I like the way they turned out. And uh, there's only going to be five of each one. So hit me up if you want one. I uh, Three sold immediately, but I've got two left. All right. With all that said, I hope everyone has a great week. We will catch you next week with our discussion on Faster Pussycat kill kill so check out that russ meyer masterpiece and we'll see you next time bye